The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And we should have little bumping things. Great, thank you. So, um, so my name is Maria, and I have been, uh, I have this bronchitis thing, so I seem to be pretty well today, but we'll see how long I can actually talk. <laughs> but I'm grateful to see you all. It's been a while since I've been here, and uh, it feels like home, so great. So what I'd like to talk about this morning, let me make sure you can hear me. It's okay? Great. What I'd like to talk about this morning is intention. Intention as a motivation and a direction, not a goal. This is a really important distinction. I want to talk about it as a motivation, as a setting of conditions, I want to talk about intention as something we can check in with, that we can align with, that we can focus our mind on. So what difference does it make? So this weekend, uh, my brother was here from Arizona, and he brought with him his son, his 15-year-old son, whom I'd never met before because he was in the custody of his mother, who was not with my brother. So there was this young man who had never seen the ocean before, and I wanted to show him the ocean, because I love it. I find it uh, a magnificent place. And so I started out with the intention to offer him my ocean, offer him the ocean. And then as... uh, time went on, I began to realize that there were actually a whole series of motivations I had, right? And the, the reason I turned up these other motivations is we went out on Sunday morning and we were going to go to the lighthouse at Point Reyes, which is where I live, out at Point Reyes, and uh, it was foggy. It was foggy and cold and rain, misty, misty, and the fog was so thick you couldn't see the ocean from the road. You know, I'm, I'm used to driving out toward the lighthouse, and you look out, and there's this magnificent ocean. Forget it. There was no ocean. And I was so irritated that there was no ocean. I knew it was there. But, of course, this was totally ignoring the fact that Ty, my nephew, was equally excited about the fog because he's never seen that either. <laughs> But I was disappointed because I wanted him to see the ocean. There were no seals out. We couldn't see the seals because it was too too cloudy to see down to the over the overlook to look at the elephant seals, so we couldn't do that. And we went to the the lighthouse and he was sort of like, Yeah, right, there's a lighthouse out there. (laughs) We went up to the observation point and I kept saying, look over here, look over here, because you could actually look down and it was quite magnificent to see the ocean churning. So there was fog, you couldn't see very far, but if you looked down, whoa, you know, there's my ocean, right? Now he's gonna get what I get. And he's standing there looking, I wanna I really like to see that lighthouse. I'm thinking, but 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 the ocean, right? So I started saying, okay Maria, you've got an agenda here. There's something you want. So 
Maybe I want him to think I'm cool because I live here on the ocean, right? Maybe I want him to be happy. Maybe I want him to... There's an awful lot of wanting here. An awful lot of wanting. And here I was agitated. He was having a great time. (laughs) But he wasn't seeing what I wanted him to see. (laughs) And I started thinking about that. How all the suffering was my suffering. And after he climbed down those many stairs to the the lighthouse and climbed back up the stairs and I waited at the top for him, we went off to North Beach. And when we got to North Beach, the sun was out and the ocean was magnificent. And instead of trying to get him to see what I was seeing, I simply enjoyed the ocean. And I forgot all about trying to form his experience and simply connected with my experience. I thought, you know, he doesn't have to feel what I feel. Why don't I just allow what I feel to be true? I was a lot happier. Now, this was just one trip to the ocean. But it's what we do all the time. We set up ideas about what's going to make us happy or what's going to make someone else happy. And then that becomes our goal. And that's the only thing we can see. Unless this happens, I have failed in my intention. But only if my intention was to have things just the way I want them to be. If my intention was actually broader or different or more subtle, maybe it's not such a failure after all. We do this with our lives all the time. We decide that this is, what the, this is the goal. And if we don't reach that goal, then everything is lost. Now, this may be useful to set up a plan if you have a business plan or you want to lose weight or you have some specific thing you want to do. You set out, okay, here are the things I need to do. We tend to think in terms of outcome. But intention really isn't about outcome. We confuse intention and goal. Intention is what we bring to the problem. Intention is the motivation toward the goal. It's what motivates us toward that goal. That's the intention. So I was reminded of a book that I read a, a number of years ago called The Heart of the World, by Ken Baker. And in this book, it's it's a a marvelous book, by the way, in, in all kinds of ways. It was an adventure book. And he set out to find a falls at the top of the Sengpo River in the wilds of Tibet. Now, nobody alive had could actually claim to have seen these falls, but they figured they had to be there because the top of the river was here and the bottom of the river was here and the elevation change was too great for there not to be a falls. So they went off in search of the falls. Over five years, he made eight trips into this wild country. And he, he set out with all of his attentions. You know, he had to have gear. He had to have guides and maps and all kinds of materials. And he was physically fit. And he had porters to carry the stuff. He had all these things. 
And then he met what he met. And the jungle proved to be intractable. The places they thought they could get to, they couldn't get to. The Chinese government wouldn't give them permits. There were all kinds of... The porters abandoned the gear and decided not to go any further. He had all sorts of horrible things that happened. But what he had was determination and resilience. So resilience is another key feature. That is the ability to meet what you meet that is not intended in your goal, that is not a function of, that's not what was supposed to happen. Your ability to meet with what was not supposed to happen and continue. Now, just so you know, he did finally find the falls. It was really a big deal. But for him, in the end, it was a kind of anticlimactic finding. Because what he learned on the way and what he felt at the, at the site had to do with realizing his intention along the way and not so much the goal that he finally achieved. It's, it's a very inspiring sort of book. And you take that and you say, okay, well, I'm not climbing to the upper reaches of the Sangpo River. I'm just trying to drive down to Redwood City. <laughs> but some of the same things have to happen. I have to have an intention. I have to, I have, to have gas in my car. You know, all of the things that we have to do. We plan, we prepare, we set out, and then we meet whatever happens. That's true no matter what it is just being alive. We plan, we prepare, we set out, and then we meet. And then we interpret what happens, and we assign meaning to what happens. And we say, oh, I'm not meeting my intention. I'm a failure. This is delusion. This is wanting something to be exactly the way we want it to be or not wanting it to be a way we don't want it to be. We confuse what we wanted with what we find, and then we say, well, this means. It's, a human, it's the way the human mind works. And we suffer. We suffer as a consequence. So um, sometimes you just have to start over. This is what he did five times. He had to start over in Baker. And, and what we want to do is set the conditions for more success the next time. If my intention is something, then, okay, that didn't work. How do I make it better this time? We don't actually think through this very much. Most of the time, we don't have, we're not aware of our intentions. We may have them. Sometimes they're unconscious in, intentions. Like, gee, if I can show this ocean to my cousin he's, or my nephew, he's going to become some enlightened by this experience with the ocean and he's going to never want to live it far from the ocean. And, and maybe he sees it and he thinks it's wonderful because he figures he can ride jet skis on it, at which I would be just horrified. You cannot control the outcome. But we like to think that we can control the outcome. If I do these things, then this is what's going to happen. 
So how do we develop this resiliency? And what does understanding intention have to do with resiliency anyway? Whether we want something for ourselves or someone else doesn't really matter. The intention is the motivation for the action. The motivation. So there is a, a term used in Buddhism called volition. Volition. And the importance of volition is that it is the intention, the, the motivation behind any action. So we think of an action as skillful or unskillful. You know, this has, this has the outcome that there is suffering, this has the outcome there is not suffering. Not suffering is skillful, suffering is not skillful. This is kind of an easy equation. What's not so easy is to understand how our intention relates to that. And the karma is the result of our intention. What was the motivation for the intention? So the same action can be either skillful or unskillful, depending on what we intended it to be. And so if, uh, if I make a cake because I want to give it to someone for their enjoyment, that appears to be a positive skillful intention. But if I make this cake and it has to look a certain way so that they'll know what a great cake maker I am, that's not quite as skillful. Now it's about me. It's not about them. My giving them the cake is about me. Not so great, right? We, it's, it's very subtle. And if we don't pay attention to what our intentions are, if we don't consciously have intentions, what happens is we're just bouncing off things. We're reacting to things. I like this bounce. I don't like this bounce. We are rudderless. And we go to the default intention of, I want what I like and I don't want what I don't like. Those are the default intentions. So having... An actual intention gives you an ability to sort of guide what conditions you're setting up. An intention itself is ethically neutral. An intention itself is ethically neutral. The intention to give the cake is ethically neutral. The motivation to give it for someone's enjoyment is not ethically neutral. The giving the cake for uh, my self-esteem is not ethically neutral. Do you see the difference? So intention sets the ground. Motivation determines whether it's skillful or unskillful. So... We're going to do a little experiment. I would like you to just sit, uh, put your hands somewhere where you can feel your hands. Right? Just doesn't matter. Just and close your eyes. And what we're going to do? I'm going to tell you what we're going to do first. We are going to move our right hands. So don't move it until I tell you to move it. But you know you're going to move it. Okay. So close your eyes and feel your hand sitting there. And know that you're going to move that hand. Now get ready. 
Have you moved your hand? I hope not. Are you ready to move your hand? Okay, move your hand. Stop. Okay, do whatever you want. Now this time, I want you to think about what it takes to move that hand. When you move that hand, you have an intention to move that hand. I want you to feel the moment at which you make the decision to move it. So first, as you're sitting there, you know that you have an intention to move your hand. But it doesn't move because my voice says to move it. It moves because you intend to move it. You actually make the decision, and there is a moment in which you can feel the energy to move the hand. Okay, so still, keep your eyes closed. Be ready to move the hand. Move. Now, you either kept moving your hand or you didn't keep moving your hand. If you kept moving your hand, which I doubt you have by now or you'd have to be standing up, you had an intention to continue moving it. If you stopped it, you have an intention to stop it. The motivation to move your hand or not move your hand is the energy for the action. It is that energy which contains the skillful or unskillful part of any action. The energy of motivation. I'm motivated to move it. I'm motivated to leave it there. I'm motivated to stop it. So that volition occurs not only in the initiation of the action, but the continuation of the action. So, suppose we find ourselves pissed. We're really angry with someone. We're in the midst of being angry. And in the midst of being angry, we remember that we have an intention to be kind. I'm carrying the intention to be kind, but I'm angry. And lots of thoughts can arise. One of the thoughts that can arise is... But this is different. One of the thoughts that can arise is, I didn't want to be angry. If, if I can keep in mind my intention to be kind, I can stop the intention of ill will toward this other person. And I can drop it in the middle. I can let go of it. If I'm in the middle of doing, and, and I, I do this, uh, particularly with my husband, he'll do something that I am really irritated about. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. There's something that we, we both do where he does it entirely differently than I do. And most of the time we just try to, you're doing it or I'm doing it, but we're not both doing it. But maybe he's, uh, well, we'll just take this. He's a very deliberate person. So he'll do this, and then he'll do this, and then he'll do this. I like to do three things at once. Now, we're not going to judge which is the better strategy. This is just how we do things. So I may ask him a question while he's, I don't know, 
peeling a potato, and he'll say, I only do one thing at a time. <laughs> and I'll think, it's just an easy question. Okay, so irritation is building up. And I want to yell at him, come on. And I remember my intention toward my husband, which is to be kind. And I say, that wouldn't be kind. The irritation is still there, but I'm no longer building up the ill will toward him because my intention is to be kind. And I can let go of it. It is just a difference. It has no meaning. It doesn't mean that he's trying to thwart me. It just means he does one thing at a time. That's all. But we can very quickly get engaged with the emotion of, but, 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 I need this now, and forget our intention to be kind and allow that ill will to build. So the understanding how intention works, how the motivation works, that it is both the initiator And the continuator reminds you that checking back in with your intention allows you to stop. It allows you to be patient and create just a little space between the irritant and the action to choose the action, to choose what you do. This is freedom. But you first have to have the intention. You first have to know that you have such an intention. You have to think about, what is it in my life that I want to guide my life? How do I want to set up the conditions of my life? How do I want to do that? So the Buddha said, bhikkhus, whatever a bhikkhu frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of the mind. If you're thinking ill will, ill will will be the inclination of the mind. So if you find yourself really grumpy, it's useful to recognize that you're really grumpy and decide whether you're going to continue telling yourself stories that are going to feed ill will or whether you're going to let go of those stories because you don't want to feed ill will. That's the place. That's the place. It's also known as um, right thought, right thinking, right intention. So right intention is one of the factors of the Eightfold Path. It's also called right thinking. Skillful thinking consists of abandoning negative thoughts, abandoning them. It doesn't mean they don't come up. They come up. I abandon them. And it means having positive thoughts, those positive thoughts of kindness, of a loving attitude, of openness, of precision, not fuzzy thinking. I want to be precise in my thinking. Skillful thoughts work as antidotes to those things that will come up. They work as antidotes toward obsession and worry. The skillful thoughts are thoughts that are not greed, not anger and aversion, not delusion. So, 
I find myself, uh, I, I'm an inveterate catalog thumber. I go through catalogs. You know, this is really just an attempt to find something you're going to want when you go through a catalog like that. And I, but I enjoy doing this. I don't shop. I live out in the country. So, so I go through these catalogs, and then I'll turn down the corner of a page. Oh, I like that. But I don't sit there and obsess about it, because pretty soon I have to have it. But if I just fold down the corner, I'm acknowledging I want, and then I put the catalog away. And sometimes I come back, I can't even remind or remember what on that page was so important. So I give myself space between the I like and the I want part. I like and I want. The same thing is true of I don't like and I don't want. You can create some space that allows you to make a choice. So I may have greedy thoughts, but I don't have to be greedy. I may have... Uh, really negative thoughts about someone. But I don't have to keep thinking them. Now, if we take the example of my husband getting in the way of my energy, I could spend all my time thinking about, he always does this. He does this all the time. He knows that it irritates me. Now, the more of those stories I'm telling myself, the more I'm building up the energy of that. But if I can tell myself, I want to be kind to this man I love, I can stop those stories. This action does not mean my stories. I can let go of those things. So another thing that the, the Buddha said about right thinking is this. What monks is right thought? The thought of renunciation the thought of non-ill will, the thought of harmlessness. This monks is called right thought. The word renunciation is kind of a hard word. You know, I, I was raised Catholic, and we had, we had this thing about sacrificing. You had to sacrifice. Now, it wasn't really tied to anything that I found really useful, except that that's what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to sacrifice yourself. You know, it was supposed to hurt. When we talk about renunciation in Buddhism, what we're talking about is letting go of craving. Letting go of craving. It isn't about denial at all. Every time we let go of our story, this is renunciation. Every time we reach for something and say, well, not now, is renunciation. Every time we think, get, let go of ill will is renunciation. Pain arises from clinging to anything, whether it's a thought or an action. Letting go of our tendency to cling to people, experiences, and beliefs is much more difficult than giving away material things. Now, one act of renunciation is to give things away. It is an act of generosity. It's a very skillful thing. But letting go of things you want is harder. It's harder. You have to develop a habit of doing it. This letting go part. So I have a friend uh, who's going to prison on Friday. 
It's a, a minimum security prison. Um, and what's important here is not whether she's innocent or guilty or what the circumstances are. We've been talking about her experience of preparing to go to prison. She has uh, given everything away. It's all gone. And uh, the government froze her assets, so those weren't available to her anyway. And uh, she's going to walk into prison with her medical records, some papers of medical records, and that's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. She's a woman who has lived well. And uh, she's, uh, she's 68. I think probably healthy. I've never met her in person. I've only talked to her on the telephone. And she told me that she's actually looking forward to the relief of not having anything to worry about, not having anything to take care of, not having anything that she has to, has to have, nothing to support, nothing to maintain. It's, real, it's a real act of renunciation. And she's seeing it as an opportunity. She says, you know, I think I'm actually going to be relieved. It's really interesting to imagine. You know, I remember in my early 20s, I uh, had gotten divorced, and I was feeling free spirit, and I decided I was never going to go own anything that didn't fit in the back of my MGB, which is a very small car. I don't know what I was imagining, but it was a long time ago. And I, I kind of envy that young woman who had that desire. What I have to take care of now and maintain and support is actually quite burdensome. And I'm very comfortable. You know, it's really great to have a bed to sleep in every night. My bed that has certain characteristics. But the ability to let go of all those things that we think are so important to us has been given to this woman as a gift this woman who's going to prison. And the last thing she's going to do Thursday night is she is going to go get a good haircut and she's going to watch the sun set over the ocean. You know, these are not big things. And to find yourself deciding what, what is it that I most cling to, and can I let go of that in the interests of my own happiness? Why wouldn't I do that? Now, not everybody can or should give up everything they have. This is what monks and nuns do. They go off and they call it the renunciant state. But we have our own form of renunciation that is important. It's the renunciation of letting go of those things that are not consistent with our intention. 
I invite you to consider what is your underlying intention for life. I was talking to someone uh, last week who, who was talking about wanting to be uh, a person around pe- whom people could be safe. Uh, and he was particularly thinking of a situation where someone had come to him that they had been abused. And he wanted to be the person who was there around whom they could be safe. Now, at first glance, and maybe the last glance, this is a very generous, skillful intention. And yet this contains the seeds that we want to look at and say, what, what is the intention here? So he said, I want to be a refuge. And I said, may I be a refuge? Now, the difference between those has to do with, I want this, and if I can't have this, then something's wrong with the world. Whereas wishing for yourself, may I be a refuge, is a much more gentle, open, possible intention, as opposed to, I would be a better person if I was like this. We have a tendency to use intention to say, I'm going, as a kind of self-improvement project, I'm going to be a better person with this intention. Which is, a Pima Chodron calls this a violence against yourself, an aggression against yourself, that you're not good enough. I'm not good enough unless I become somebody better. You do not have to become somebody better. You do not have to become someone better. My intention, I may, I may, uh, I know I want to be a better person. But my overwhelming intention is much more general. My overwhelming intention is loving kindness. My intention is to be open. This isn't easy for me. But it has been and remains my primary intention. I don't measure myself as being more or less open or more or less good. My intention is to be open-hearted. It isn't about judgment. It is simply my intention. It is a guiding light that I can use to measure myself with For this action, is this action consistent with my intention? Oh, it's a way of looking at something. You're much less likely to hold on to a a hot coal than you are to hold on to a dish of ice cream, assuming you like ice cream. There's, There's something you want, right? If you have an intention to measure an action with, then you can make a decision about that action. But this demanding of yourself that you be something better, no, that's... uh, mm -mm. That's saying, if only this were true. The Buddha says, meet this moment just as it is. 
See this moment. See this moment. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. So, uh, last I told you I had bronchitis, and last week I had a, 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 an asthmatic attack. So I really had trouble breathing, and I had this uh, albuterol that uh, inhaler, which opened up my airways, which was really great. But one of the things that albuterol does to me is it makes me kind of uh, wild. I get shaky, and my emotions get really labile, you know. And pretty soon I was in tears, and I was, and I, and the thought arose: Oh, you know, I can't get to the emergency care center because it's an hour away, and I'm going to have to move. And then I said, Wait a minute. This is the drug making you shaky. This doesn't mean anything. This is just what's happening. Separating what is happening from all the things I want it to mean. And so then arose the intention to just meet things as they are. And I let go of that anxiety around, I don't live in the right place just because I took albuterol. You know, hello. But we do this. We get tied up in these emotions. And the ability to disengage from the emotion, to renounce the emotion, to let go of the emotion... See it. Oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah, that's, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's happening. But let go of it. Allows you to disengage from making it you. Making it, this is me. I'm really hurt and upset. No, 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 no. I was just having trouble breathing. Different thing. It is possible, Joseph Goldstein says, it is possible to change the channels of our minds. You know, we get down these ruts. We go down this. This is the familiar thing. I go this way. This is how I'm thinking. But we can change that by our intentions and by aligning ourselves with those intentions. We can change the channels of our minds. If we know what our intention is, we can leave space for my, maybe not knowing the subtle intentions. Uh-huh. Not knowing the, the unconscious intentions that we're carrying around with us. Those things that we haven't quite noticed about our intentions. But when we have a little space where we say, wait a minute. So, so here's, here's the habit. When you notice that you're tense, that's the time to check. When you're tense, what's going on here? Here is my intention. Hmm, this doesn't look like my intention. It started out good. I remember something I did for someone that was really kind of a big deal. Uh, And to my mind, it was really not appreciated. (laughs) And it was abused, and it turned into something really, really sad. And I felt like a failure. And then I looked at what was my intention in offering this. And my intention was not to be liked. My, there was a subtle intention, which I'll come back to. But my intention was to ease this person's way. That was truly my intention. And because that was my intention, I was able to let go of the blame of it not coming out the way I wanted it to. 
Got that? When your intention is good, the action may or may not fail. But the unskillful part resides, the skillful or unskillful part resides in the intention, in the motivation for the action, not in the outcome of the action. Remembering that intention continues something or doesn't continue it. As I watched all this, I realized that I had a subtext over here, which was that I was trying, by this act of generosity, I was trying to make up for something somebody else did to hurt this person. Well, you know, that sounds good, but it's a little twisted. (laughs) It's not as skillful to try to make up for somebody else by doing something, you know, just for you, right? That's, That's the more clean intention. So looking at those intentions and understanding them helps us get out of these, gets out of places of suffering. It gets you out of the place of suffering to really understand what your intention is. So suppose I understand that my intention was, you know, not a very good one. (laughs) I stop doing it. That's it. That's all. I don't keep doing it. I don't keep re-motivating the action. I stop. That's it. End of karma. I stop. This is why it's so important. It doesn't become a continuing burden. Once you say, oh, this is unskillful, you drop the hot coal and you're no longer carrying it. Because intention is setting the conditions for the next moment. That's what we're doing. With our thoughts, we're setting the conditions for the next moment. If I say no then the conditions for the next moment have changed. They've changed. So what choices do you want to live by? The Dhammapada says, if by giving up a lesser happiness, a greater happiness could be found, a wise person would renounce the lesser for the sake of the greater. Don't confuse the greater with pleasant or the lesser with unpleasant. That was the problem with sacrificing that I used to do as a kid. You know, if it has to be unpleasant. Mm -mm. Decide what your goal in life is. Look at your intention. Look at your intention. Don't be attached to the goal. Look at the motivation understand your motivation. First of all, think about motivation. Think about what you want to motivate your life. And then be that. And when that isn't there, say, oh, I'm not going to do that. And when you're overwhelmed, it's like returning to your breath when you're meditating. You know, you're breathing, breathing, breathing. You find yourself over here, Oh, back to the breath. It's not a judgment. It's just back to my intention, back to my breath. So, one other thought. This is my favorite quote from Joseph Goldstein, Goldstein, who's a teacher in Massachusetts. What Joseph says is, there is nothing 
not worth letting go of. That includes your intentions, your best wishes, your beliefs, and other good things. There is nothing not worth letting go of. And when we say letting go, it doesn't mean pushing away. You don't have to decide, I no longer love my husband because I'm clinging to him. You say, I love my husband, but I am not going to hold him in this grip, whereby if he's not here, I am miserable. That's clinging. But to say, oh, how wonderful that he's in my life, that's, that's not clinging. When I grab it, it becomes clinging. You don't have to be a better person. Just understand how your mind, your intentions, your ideas are shaping the next moment. So my favorite quote, you've all heard before, if you've heard me before. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. We get to choose a corrupted mind or a peaceful mind. So, let me just see if I still want to read this. Yeah, I do. Okay, so this is a poem by Billy Collins. And it's called Dharma. The way the dog trots out the front door every morning, without a hat or an umbrella, without any money, or the keys to her doghouse, never fails to fill the saucer of my heart with milky admiration. Who provides a finer example of life without encumbrance? Thoreau in his curtainless hut with a single plate, a single spoon. Gandhi with his staff and his holy diapers. Off she goes into the material world with nothing but her brown coat and her modest blue collar, following only her wet nose, the twin portals of her steady breathing, followed only by the plume of her tail. If only... She did not shove the cat aside every morning and eat all his food. What a model of self-containment she would be. What a paragon of earthly detachment. If only she were not so eager for a rub behind the ears or so acrobatic in her welcomes. If only I were not her god. If only she didn't push the cat aside. If only she were not so eager for the rub behind the ears. She could be a model. This is us. We're Dharma. We're Dharma. We go into the world. We can choose what we let go of, what we don't let go of. It is whether we have the intention toward kindness or ill will 
or we choose to be so confused we can't choose. This is what makes the difference. May you find your intention. May you be aware of your intentions. May your intention be a guide for you, a touchstone, a light. May it never be a source of judgment. May you be happy. Thank you. So, do we have any questions or comments or... Yeah. Yes, you don't have to you crawl don't, on your you knees. Don't have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert. Yes. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And there's a letting there that you don't have to do this or be this, but there's a letting of unnaturalness. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And it goes back to the, the essence of, of goodness that's already here and that you release. The goodness that you release. It isn't the goodness that you become. Or the goodness that you make. That's right. Thank you for that. Okay. Thank you all for coming. It's been a pleasure for me. Bye-bye. Would you go hit the stop button for me? Thank you.